Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's an honor, it's a blessing to be up here, to be able to bring God's Word to you. Uh, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 89. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to follow along with us, there should be a Bible uh, underneath a seat in front of you, close to you. You could find it on page 495 of those Bibles provided uh, here in the sanctuary, Psalm 89. And um, as you're turning there, I, I'm going I'm to ask you a heavy question to start. It's, it's, it's kind of a heavy passage of Scripture. I'll, I'll alert you to that ahead of time. So I want to start with a bit of a heavy question for you. Do, do you have a recipe for the day when everything falls apart? Now, embedded in that question is an assumption that there are days when everything around us seem to be falling apart. And that is a biblical assumption. Uh, we're told the Apostle Paul went around in, in Acts chapter 14, and he went around encouraging the churches, telling them that it was through many afflictions that they must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, our, our Lord Jesus said that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Uh, even in the passage that, that we heard Becky read to us from 1 Peter, uh, we heard that there are various trials that grieve the people of God. So it, it should not surprise us uh, when it feels like life is too much for us to handle when you're feeling overwhelmed by unanswered and even unanswerable questions, uh, when the circumstances of your life seem to plainly contradict the goodness of God and the promises of God that he's made to you, and it doesn't seem that there's anything that you can do to change it. So what, what do you do when that's the world you're living in? Do you have a recipe for the day when everything falls apart? For, for many centuries, the people of God have turned to the book of Psalms as a refuge uh, in the midst of the dangers and toils and snares that we meet on our journey towards the promised land. Uh, one theologian has said that the Psalms are the anatomy of all parts of the Christian soul, meaning that you can go into the Psalms and you can find pretty much every sort of experience that you might uh, come up against in this world. You'll find language for those experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You'll find that in the Psalms. The Psalms teach us how to grapple with life's uh, hard questions. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of those psalms uh, that we together might learn to walk with and worship God along that hard way that leads to life. And so we're beginning this morning in Psalm 89. Uh, in in the, the cookbook that is the perseverance of the saints, this man, Ethan the Ezraite, has a, a recipe for us to file away. 
If you're there in Psalm 89, you see that it's the, the subscript there, which is part of the psalm, says that it is a maskeel of Ethan the Ezraite. And uh, the, the scholars tell me that this word maskeel has to do with instruction or teaching or the, the imparting of wisdom. And so this psalm is particularly, it is a song of praise and it's intended to teach us something. And I, I, I think I, we could summarize the teaching of this psalm in this simple sentence, resolve to sing God's praises even in deep perplexity. I think that is the point of the psalm. Resolve to sing God's praises even in deep perplexity. And I think it's good that you be alerted that that's the main idea of the psalm even before I start reading it because I am going to read it in its entirety. It's a bit of a long, it's one of the longer psalms in the book of Psalms. And for 37 verses, it's just going to seem like unbridled joy and confidence in God's love and God's faithfulness. But it's, it's going to turn towards the end of the psalm and we're going to see that pain and perplexity is, is the backdrop of this song of praise. And I wanted you to be aware of that as we begin to read this long accounting of praise that the psalm begins with. So uh, we're going to read Psalm 89. I'm going to read Psalm 89. Please do pay attention. I'm going to ask for the Lord's help, but give attention to hearing God's word proclaimed. This, I assure you, it will be the best part of the sermon is this part after I pray and I read these 52 verses of Psalm 89. Heavenly Father, we do need your help this morning as we come to your word. Help us, help us to have grace to focus, to give careful and earnest attention to your word. Help us to learn from its instruction. Help us to be moved by its encouragement Help us to be pierced and convicted where we're in need of that and help us to see and treasure your son, Jesus, as we look at it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 89, a maskeel of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Selah. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. 
The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Selah. But now you have cast us, you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Selah. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. Who can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. 
Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. This is God's word, and it is my prayer that we will know a blessing both in the hearing of it and in the doing of what it says. Did you see that? It's a lot. It's a lot to cover. We're not going to hit all the details today. But did you see that main idea, resolve to sing God's praises, even in deep perplexity? And to help us think about that, let's, let's just consider praise. That's what we see in verses 1 to 37, praise and perplexity. Verses 38 to 51. From the start of this long psalm, we see Ethan's, I'm just going to call him Ethan. We're on a first name basis. I'm not actually even sure who Ethan is. That's a little bit of a story. I'm happy to talk with you about it after the service. I'm not going to bog us down this morning with it. But uh, we see Ethan's resolve, his commitment, his determination to sing God's praises right there in verse 1, and it's, it's a part of his instruction to the people of God that they would be doing the same. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And it's, it's good that we have read the entire psalm because we understand what's going on in this man's life, the, the circumstances and the conditions that he's living through, they seem to be, this is where we are in verses 38 and following, the circumstances just seem to be contradicting the steadfast love that he is himself celebrating. He's singing of God's steadfast love, even though by the end of the psalm, he's questioning, where is this steadfast love? And there's something very powerful us Uh, for us to learn from that example. This man, Ethan, is resolved with his might, no matter what the circumstances are, despite all appearances to the contrary, he says, I have made up my mind, I am going to sing. I'm going to proclaim and declare the steadfast love and the faithfulness of the Lord, and I'm going to do it forever. So we are instructed here that circumstance does not exempt us from singing God's praise. It is always good and pleasant and appropriate to sing praise to God. That's what Psalm 147 verse 1 says. It says, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant And a song of praise is fitting. Psalm 145, King David writes, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Every day I will bless you. And praise your name forever and ever. And that every day means, as we've sung already, 
when the sun's shining down on me and the world's all that it should be, and on the road marked with suffering when there's pain in the offering, when, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, the psalmist is committed, I will sing to the Lord. So, Christian brother, Christian sister, are you, a, are you a singer? I'm not saying are you a famous singer. I'm not asking you if that's your career. You might not be up here on this stage ever as a member of the worship team. You might not feel that you have a particularly good singing voice. But are you a singer of God's praises? Do you know that it is good and pleasant and fitting to sing praise to our God and to do so every day. Do you understand that to be part of your vocation as a child of God? That, that as you would conceive of a, of a day well spent, that included in that good day is that you've spent some time singing praise to God. Every day does not mean Sunday, every Sunday. You understand that there are more days in the week than Sunday. Is that part of your to-do list? Is that a must on your to-do list? I must sing praise to God today. Uh, father, heads of households, I would encourage you to lead your home in singing praise to God. I, I do not think I have always done this well. I think we've gotten better at this in the last couple of years. I do not think I have a good singing voice. In fact, I know I do not have a good singing voice. Sometimes I am told that I do not have a good singing voice. But I, I think by the grace of God, I have been more faithful in the last year or two, making sure that it would be an expectation, that it would be a rare day in the Lazarus household where we've not sung praise to God. Is that your commitment? I think that Ethan, the Ezraite, would commend that it should be that. You say, well, I don't have a, I'm not a head of a household. I'm by myself. You can sing praise to God by yourself. I, I do a little bit of that also as well. You can sing praise to God on your own. You want a choir around you? You get, you get Spotify on or Apple Music or whatever. You could crank that up and you can sing praise to God by yourself because God is with you. You're never alone. And, and we, we, as the people of God, we always have reason to sing praise to God. In verses, uh, well, I mean, he makes that commitment in verse 1. He says for 36 verses or so after that, he just gives reason after reason to praise God. And unfortunately, this is where I have to really condense things quite a bit. But he gives mighty praise to God. He's recalling the covenant that God made with his servant David, which becomes an occasion for the deep perplexity in the psalmist's life, and, and we will get to that. But to inflame his praise for that promise and for that faithfulness, he just heaps upon praise upon praise for the attributes, for the character and the glory of God. He praises God for his majesty, awesome and greatly to be feared, even among the angelic hosts of heaven. He praises God for the mighty power that he's exhibited both in, in his creation of the world, the, the ruling of the raging seas and, and the mountains in their splendor, Tabor and Hermon, mountains giving praise to God. 
He, he praises God for his redeeming work. He has crushed his enemies. Rahab, like, like a carcass. Uh, the word Rahab literally means proud one. I, I think along the lines of Isaiah chapter 30, verse 7, this is a reference to Egypt. You can see very clearly in chapter, Isaiah 30, verse 7, this reference to Rahab is a reference to Egypt. I think this is talking about the way God struck down and humbled mighty Pharaoh and the people of Egypt in delivering his people. He praises God for the the righteousness and the justice by which he exerts his rule and the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God that are shown to his people, his blessed ones who know the festal shout and who walk in the light of his face. And and we, we Christians... We know this festal shout, do we not? Through the work of our Lord Jesus. This, this festal shout, I, I, I did some search of that word particularly. I was curious about it. it. It's used several times in the Old Testament, some to speak of a, a shout of acclamation towards the king. Sometimes it was used of the trumpet blasts that would sound the people of God forth to inv- in, be included in the feasts that God had called his people to. It's a, it's a festal shout of being God's people. We know that because it says, who, who walk in the light of God's face. And we know that because of Jesus, we have seen, by the grace of God, we have seen his face. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As if we're here today praising Jesus as our Savior, it's because in his unfailing love, Jesus was willingly crushed himself like a carcass for our sins, for our refused praise or our misdirected praise, the fact that we would rather live our lives our way to serve us, to call attention to ourselves, than to give glory and praise and admiration to our God. All of us have been sinners in that way, and yet Jesus came, and he was willingly treated as God's enemy so that all who would repent of their sin and look to the Lord Jesus would know this joyful shout of deliverance from sin and death and hell. Perhaps you walked in this morning thinking, I don't have a reason to praise the Lord. I don't have a reason to sing. If you're in Jesus, God's word says you have not been destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are bound for the promised land. You've been born again, Christians, it says in 1 Peter 1, to a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for us, and by God's power, he's keeping us ready. He's preserving us and guarding us for that final day. We have ample and abundant reason to sing God's praise. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's name, even when we're grieved by various trials. We always have reason to sing praise to God. Do you, do you, I want you to understand something about what happens when I get up here and I preach. 
I, I want you to know that I don't talk every week about how about the wrath of God and how it's it, we it's what we deserve and how how vile we are in our sins. I don't talk about that every week because I have some kind of a morbid fascination with how filthy we all are. I, I, I have a conviction that I want to make sure that you hear about that every time we gather because that's the very heart that is the blazing center of the steadfast love that is our eternal delight and thrill. God shows his love for us, shows this is Romans 5, verse 8. God shows his love. That is a present tense verb. You didn't know you were getting grammar today. That is not very rocket, that's not rocket science kind of grammar, okay? God shows his love, present tense, right now, 2023. He shows his steadfast love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know right now that God loves you. You want to know right now that you've got a reason to sing praise to God even when life is filled with hard times, which it is, we've got reason to sing because Christ died for us when we were sinners. Not when we'd taken a few steps to clean ourselves up. Not when we tried our best. When we were sinners, when we were wallowing in the mud and mire of our sin, Christ came and he suffered and he died and he rose and he sent us the Spirit and he's given us a living hope and we've got reason to sing praise to God, beloved. Every single day, even when our days are filled with hard times, with pain and confusion, with perplexity, because that's where this song, Psalm 89, that's where it was written. In, in the pit of misery and perplexity. Kids, that, I'm using the word perplexity. You might not know what the word perplexity means. Perplexity just means confusion. I don't understand. I don't understand. That's perplexity. And that's where this psalm was written. That's where this instruction is birthed from. Resolve to sing God's praises even in deep perplexity. Ethan's not writing that from some ivory tower of circumstantial bliss. Right? You saw that in the last part of the psalm. Life is full of hard questions. And even in his determination to sing praise, Ethan himself has some of those hard questions that are weighing on his soul. He, he brings them to the Lord in the latter part of this psalm. I, I love the way one commentator put this. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on the psalms, he, he said, in light of the deep pain described in, in verses 38 and following, he says, verses 1 to 37 are a miracle of self-discipline. I love that phrase. A miracle of self-discipline. To be giving praise to God, even though the circumstances for Ethan and for the people of Israel whom he was leading in the worship of are looking horrible. And it was horrible, and it was God's doing that it was horrible. Did you notice that in verses 38 and following? Again, I'm not going to read the whole passage, the whole part again to you, but if you just look, you just glance at verses 38 through 45, you're going to see the word you, but you, 
Who's the you there? Church. God. Good answer. You. You know how many times it's there? No, we've been reading the passage. We've been reading the passage this week. Praise the Lord. You're listening. Thirteen times. You have cast us off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointing. You've renounced the covenant. You've defiled his crown. You have breached all his, war, uh, all his walls. Thirteen times, you, Lord, you, you who swore to David, your servant, that you would establish his offspring forever, that he'd have a kingdom that would be forever, that would be ongoing, that would be universal. You've crushed the kingdom. This is a national catastrophe. It seems like what is in view is the time when the Babylonians came in and because of the sin, the pervasive sin of the people of Israel, the Babylonians came in and they they ransacked the city. The Davidic king at that time was a man named Zedekiah. And we know that the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem with unspeakable horrors happening inside the city walls. After Jerusalem was conquered, and was plundered, they murdered the children of Zedekiah in front of him, they put out his eyes, they carried him in chains to Babylon, where he remained a prisoner until his death. Eventually, the Babylonians returned, and they just completely destroyed the whole city. All that was left there were a few fields and some poor people who were too insignificant, apparently, for them to be carried off to Babylon. That's the setting. That's what's on the psalmist's mind when he resolves, verse 1, that he's going to sing of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Your king is a blind captive. Your great city is plundered and decimated. The temple completely demolished. And God did it. That's not my word. That's not my view of the sovereignty of God. That's what the psalmist says. And so you can, and you can feel the deep perplexity in the heart of Ethan and all of the people of God who would be living with this horror. God's destructive actions appear to be dashing the hopes of his people in the very promises that he himself had made to them. It was their sin that had brought about the Babylonian captivity, but God had said the kingdom would be forever. It says right there in, 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 in Psalm 89, if your children forsake my law, I will punish their transgression, but I will not remove, verse 33, I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant once for all. It's going to endure forever. Kids, kids, did you ever have to say, did you, not did you ever have to say, did you ever say to your parents, but you promised? Okay, I think we're good with good. We'll talk more later, okay. <laughs> they told you, maybe some, you were looking forward to something, you're going to go somewhere, you're going to have some treat after dinner, or they said something, you heard them say something, and then it didn't happen. You said, but you promised. Kids, you know what that feels like? That's That's frustrating. That bothers us when somebody promised us something and then it doesn't happen. Well, God had promised something and whatever you get frustrated about, it's not as big as what these people were were in pain about. They said, God, you promised. And it didn't look like the promises were happening. So Ethan cries out in verse 46, How long, O Lord, 
Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Where is your steadfast love of old by which you swore, by, by, by which your faithfulness you swore to David? There's real pain that's involved in walking with the Lord in this world. Walking by faith, I just want to make sure that we're all clear on this as a church. Walking by faith and not by sight does not mean that we ignore the circumstances in our lives that are disappointing. It does not mean that we just squash our frustrations and pretend that they don't exist. And when somebody asks us how we're doing, we just say, fine. That's not the Christian faith. What it means is that we cry out to God when we're living in the gap between what he has promised and what we're actually experiencing. And, 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 and we, there's, in this room, every single Sunday, you might think people walk in, maybe you're in a pit and you're like, it just seems like everybody else is fine. I'm just, I just want to tell you that's not the case. Every single Sunday we gather, there's pain and there's perplexity in this room. There's, there's pain, there's physical pain that persists. There's diseases that stay fatal. There's wombs that stay barren. There's heartaches that are just abiding until death. There's marriages that are not healing. There's conversions longed for that aren't happening. Wayward children who are not returning. Every single Sunday, there's pain and there's perplexity here. And the Lord, by putting psalms like this in his word, invites us to come to him, to come honestly with our disappointment, to come with our confusion, to come with our sorrow, to lament, and to do it with a song. Ethan is leading the people of God in singing praise to God through blinding tears, through the apparent absence of God's steadfast love. And yet he sings back to God the very promises that he's struggling with seeing no evidence of anywhere. That's what makes Psalm 89 a miracle of self-discipline. And that's, that's what we learn from Ethan. Resolve to sing God's praises even in deep perplexity. It's always time to praise God. It's always time to praise God. Whatever our state, whatever our circumstance, whatever our situation, whatever public life is like, no matter how the church is being marginalized and disparaged in our nation or the people of God are being persecuted and oppressed in other nations, whatever our private circumstances are, whatever the state of the people of God is in this country or in the world, it's always time to praise the Lord. What a recipe. What a recipe for the day when everything falls apart. I love the way this psalm, I mean, this, the way this psalm ends. I could just be here all day. I know we've got to take the Lord's Supper. And that's a wonderful thing, by the way. <laughs> we could just look at, let's, let's look at the end of the psalm. Verse 50. Remember, O Lord, 
how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. How I love that. How long, O Lord? If you just peer back even a few more verses. How long, O Lord? Where's your steadfast love? We're being mocked. We're being insulted. It feels like vanity that we're living for. We have no hope, it seems. Blessed be the Lord. What a lesson. And that's where Ethan, that's where Ethan takes us. His life ended, and God never appeared to have remembered as Ethan had pleaded with him to do. But whereas Ethan's life ended, the storyline of the Bible did not end. And I think that's good for you to know. I, just, I was particularly hit right there when I wrote that sentence. God's pl- God is doing something in the world that is bigger than your life. And sometimes it's hard to see that. I, I heard it said once, actually I heard it said right from this stage uh, about a year ago, that of the confusing providences that happen in our lives, they're not there for us to figure out, but for us to trust God with. And then uh, Pastor Brian Davis, who was here preaching that day, he said, God does not command us to connect all the dots. He just promises us that it's all connected. And one day, he's going to blow our mind with how connected it all is. And, with, and, it, and sometimes it's hard to believe that. But we got something right here in this psalm. We got some dots connected to just help you to see when you're struggling to see how the dots connected. Let me show you how some of Ethan's dots got connected without him even realizing it. And it'll maybe blow your mind a little bit because it did my mind at least. The, the, the faithful like Ethan and other Israelites were longing and they were waiting and they were hoping for this, this promise, this sworn covenant of a sure kingdom for David. They were waiting and they were waiting hundreds of years even beyond the time of Ethan. And, and then, and then all of a sudden, they didn't know about it at the time. You can read about it because you can open your book to, you can open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew and it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the next words are? You know what the first thing we're told about Jesus in the New Testament is? He's the son of David. The angel Gabriel appeared to a young virgin named Mary in Luke chapter one and said, you will conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus began his ministry, the son of David, the one promised who would reign over a kingdom forever. And he began his ministry by declaring that the kingdom of God had come near. He did mighty miracles to show that the kingdom of God had come upon the people. On Palm Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem as a king. He was nailed to a cross under the Roman inscription, the king of the Jews. And when they thought they had put him to death for good and ended that whole thing, he rose from the dead on the third day and was seated on his throne at the right hand of God the Father where he currently rules as king until all his enemies are put under his feet. Because he died, because he rose, and because he ascended, we can be assured that the time is coming when he will be revealed 
to the whole universe as Lord of lords and King of kings, and every tongue will acknowledge his reign. God's prom- when his promises are fulfilled, the house of David will fill the whole world. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And you and I can be included in that kingdom because Jesus came from heaven to earth as a servant, humbling himself even to death, a sacrificial, substitutionary death in which he would bear in his own body the just wrath and fury for his people's lust of their own self-seeking, self-promotion, self-praise. He came and he suffered and he died for it all. If, if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of King Jesus, you have not bended the knee and submitted to Jesus as king, do you understand? You have, in the end, you have no songs to sing. There's no, I mean, you know, you turn on the radio, we, we, it's on one of our playlists. I'm not gonna, we're like 10 years behind. But like, there's this song, Happy, do you remember that song? Because I'm happy. It's, it's, that was really pretty bad. Happy. It's a peppy song. It's fun. Do you know the song? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Pharrell Williams, is that his name? For, yeah, you know, he's, he's a guy. I got it mostly right. We, that all sounds great. Nobody's singing that at a funeral. Nobody is singing that at a funeral. If you don't have hope beyond the grave, what do you sing? What, what, what do you, what, your songs are as, as vain as a skydiver enjoying the free fall when his parachute is broken and he doesn't know it and he's 20 seconds away from a gruesome death. That's what the songs of a non-Christian are. There's no hope here. There's nothing lasting, permanent to put a song in our souls. But Jesus came. He's a good king. It's no, it is no oppressive burden to submit and trust and follow one who at the cost of his life committed himself to do you good all the time, all the days of all of your life with all of his heart and soul. And that's what Jesus has done at the cost of his life. He left his father's throne above. God's very own son came from heaven to die knowing that he would be struck to death with God's almighty rod having been betrayed by one of his closest friends and soon to be abandoned by all his followers, soon to feel the complete forsakenness of God on the cross. If you had looked at Jesus in those hours before and during his crucifixion, you'd have thought God hated this man. And yet what we're told in Matthew 26 is after he observed the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he's getting ready to endure all of that for the sins of the world. And it says they sang a hymn. They sang, Jesus sang praise to God right before they executed him. And he did that because of the joy of bringing sinners like us into his heavenly kingdom. Oh, if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Jesus, put your faith in him. Turn from living your own way. Turn from self-rule and trust in his joyful, good rule shown to you in his sinless life and his sacrificial death and guaranteed that he really can put an eternal song in your heart by rising victoriously from the dead. And beloved brothers and sisters, we can rejoice in that Jesus when we're crying out, which we still cry out, how long, Lord? How long? How long until you come? 
we can rejoice in his promise at the end of the Bible. Three times in the last chapter of Scripture, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. It hasn't felt soon. He says, I'm coming soon. And I, and I think Psalm 89 is here for us. I think his lament and then the fulfillment that he couldn't, the dots that he couldn't possibly have connected about how you and I would still be talking about Ethan's lament and how God answered that prayer in Jesus. I think it's here for us to remind us that there are some promises that God has made to us, the fulfillment of which we will only see when we finally see Jesus face to face. And because of what he's already done for us, we can learn to be content with that and even to sing a song. So let us fix our eyes, beloved, on great David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our resurrected king, and, and let us say with Ethan the Ezraite, who saw his prayers answered, though he didn't see it in his day, immeasurably more than ever he could have asked or imagined, let us be able to say with him and to sing with him on the road marked with suffering. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Love you, brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace and blessing. Help us to Oh, help us to find fresh joy in Jesus. Some of us know deep pain even here this morning. With others, we, we feel the sun shining down upon us and we praise you for that. Father, whether we're in a season of plenty and abundance or of pain and need, would you so fill us with wonder at your goodness shown to us in Jesus that you would enable us in the power of your spirit to sing praise to you. And we pray that we would continue in our praise as we come now to the table to eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.